This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Um, and then in 1881, which is a really important date for Guinness, is that we, we purchased our first microscope. And then from 1883 onwards, every brew was assessed using that microscope. Is it the same yeast that Arthur Guinness would have picked up in 1759? This week on the show, the story of Guinness yeast. Is it unique? Is it Irish? Join us as we peek into the St. James Gate Yeast Library. My name is Daniel Carouche. I'm the group microbiologist for Diageo. The past has been well documented at St. James Gate. Beyond the libraries of bottles, furniture, and marketing materials, there's also a yeast library. Tell us what's in it. What isn't in it, I think, is probably the most pertinent question. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a treasure trove, an absolute treasure trove of... Um, yeast and bacterial species that have been, well, in terms of the bacteria, kind of been isolated from various different bats over the years. And the yeast is kind of, well, it's 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 the Guinness yeast. So the Guinness yeast is, you know, very prevalent there, as you'd expect. But it's also yeast from other breweries as well, you know, that we go, that I've kind of delved into. Um, yeah, there's an awful lot in there. There's about 300 yeast species, over 300, and at least 200 bacterial species. Uh, fortuitously, actually, every single one of the yeast and every single one of the bacteria has been incredibly well documented. So we know exactly where it came from. We know the providence of it. And um, we also, for the, for a lot of the yeast, we also know its fermentation abilities as well, um, including whether it's POF positive or not. So it produces that phenolic off flavor and also kind of the ester profiles that you can see from the yeast as well. It's it's, it's It literally is a treasure trove of, of, of microorganisms that have been used in the brewing environment. What was special about 1903? Why was that the starting point here? So 1903 is when we can relate all of our yeast back to. Um, and the reason being is that in 1901, um, because of the work of the first 
scientist, the Guinness appointed uh, Thomas Bennett case, we set up the Watling Laboratory. Um, and the reason why they set up that laboratory was because they were very keen, and they still are very keen, Guinness, um, to kind of drive performance through scientific understanding. So all of the yeast that we use today in our, in our brewery um, can be related back to that yeast that's kind of was stored down in 1903. What well, can you tell us about where Guinness yeast most likely came from? Yeah, so... In 1759, um, Arthur Guinness signed his famous famous lease, um, but this was Arthur Guinness's second brewery. So he, his first brewery was actually in Leakslip, um, but he moved to the capital and he, he set up his brewery in 1759. For the first 40 years, um, Arthur Guinness brewed primarily ales, but he did brew the, the odd number of stouts. Um, and then in 1799, they made the conscious decision to move production away from ales to what was quite popular at the time, which was the Porter style, which was coming out of London. Um, and actually, that then became the beer that we now know and love today is, is, is Guinness Stout. The first record we have kind of within the archives of when of, of yeast is is in 1809 and the reason we know that is because in 1809 they closed the brewery for about about three weeks because they had to put a new steam engine in there and what they did is that they then obviously the yeast died but what we know is that they brought yeast in from three specific breweries and all these breweries were in the vicinity of of, of dublin we then kind of between 1810 and 1812 we then have a further information that, that they brought in 41 breweries from seven different breweries now obviously in those days they didn't really know what yeast was but they knew that they needed this this thing that fluffed up um so what was quite common practice was that you would never refuse a, another brewer kind of like a seed if you see what i mean so they they brought the what would have happened is that they would have brought the seed into the brewery they would allow it to ferment to, for for two to three days and then they would have pushed that seed then in, into the brew um, obviously, in 1854, the great Louis Pasteur discovered what yeast was, as it were. Um, and then in 1881, which is a really important date for Guinness, is that we, we purchased our first microscope. And then from 1883 onwards, every brew was assessed using that microscope, which, if you think about it, was, is actually quite um, it's, it's great foresight, really. Um, as I mentioned before in the last question, the appointment of Thomas Bennett Case in 1893 was instrumental and kind of vastly improved the kind of the scientific understanding of Guinness. Um, and then obviously then they established the Watling Laboratory in 1901. Um, just to go back to kind of the question about where did the, the, the Guinness yeast come from? What we do know is that Arthur Guinness in 1759 would have borrowed yeast from other brewers within the vicinity of Dublin. Um, and obviously then he would have then obviously given his yeast to other brewers within the vicinity of Dublin as well. So that yeast would have then been shared in and around Dublin. Okay, and then something else important occurred in 1959. What was that? Yeah, so the the great work by M. Um, Gilliland. So Gilliland was basically the preeminent microbiologist for Guinness um, during the 20th century. He had a very illustrious career, um, was with Guinness for many, many years, and was a highly successful scientist. Um, but he was kind of instrumental in, in taking that 1903 yeast, and he did a reselection in 1959, and he based it upon flocculation characteristics. So the, if, interestingly enough, the EBC method, so the European Brewing Congress, their flocculation method is actually called the Gilliland method um, after, after the work that he did at Guinness. So he selected this 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 yeast it was it's a class two yeast so it's it's not super flocculent at all it's it's kind of it's it says what you class as kind of poor flocculent really um, and he decided that that was the best yeast at that time for, for for making making guinness and that's the same yeast that we still use today 
And um, one thing he then did in 1960 is that they then just decided to, to use a variant of, of, of the 1959 yeast. And that's the foreign extra stout yeast. And that's the other yeast that we use today to brew the other kind of Guinness, which is the foreign extra stout. And that's the yeast that we use primarily to brew beer in Africa. And um, foreign extra stout is a, it's a bit of a different beast than, um, than, than, than Irish draft stout Guinness. It's got a very high diacetyl. It's got a much stronger ABV. And it's usually between six and a half to seven and a half percent. But the big thing, and the reason why they chose that yeast was was because that they wanted the yeast to remain in suspension for as long as possible. So it's an extremely poor flocculant. The yeast is described basically as unflocculant, um, and it's 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 the same reason how you, why you would have had the uh, the you know the old English IPA where they brewed it at high strength so that it could then go on long journeys. But that was the same thing with the foreign extra stout. It was brewed at high strength so it could go on long journeys. Awesome. Well, you just answered my next question, so that's <laughs> good work. Daniel, what can you tell us about how those strains were stored in 1903? So, yeah. um, So basically what they were doing, they were stored on slants. And then after every six months, they were re... um, they were put on put on more slants essentially so every six months the the microbiologist would would take the yeast wash them off uh, and then grow them up and then put them on slants and that's how it was basically stored for many many years up until the early 80s um and in the early 80s obviously the the um guinness decided to buy some liquid nitrogen storage and that's how the yeast has been stored ever since so since the early 80s basically all of our yeast has been stored in liquid nitrogen that's interesting. You know, I um, I just looked it up right before this because um, I had no idea, but cryogenics is a lot older than I would have guessed. Uh, apparently, James Dewar's famous invention goes all the way back to 1892. Um, so, I, I found that interesting. So, that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask, um, you know, how just how were they storing this way back in 1903? So, that's pretty interesting. And I think one of the things actually from the, the work that we've done actually is testament to just how good um, Guinness's microbiologists were. Because what we found is is that even though we've gone back to look at yeast from 1947, which is the earliest Guinness yeast kind of within our collection, and it's so closely related to the yeast that we use today. And it just shows you just how well the microbiologists were able to replate every six months. And it's, it's just testament to, the, to their skills, actually. And what's interesting is that when I've gone and looked at other yeast for, for other different projects, um, none of them are contaminated, you know, and they're just... It, 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 again, it just shows the testament just how good our microbiologists were. Wow. Okay, Daniel. So with the the, the access to this library uh, of all these different yeasts um, and the ability to leverage modern technology, you set out to determine the origins of Guinness yeast and, and figure out exactly what makes Irish yeast Irish, right? Yeah, so the so the project originally started with kind of determining, you know, process and all that kind of stuff. And one thing we became interested in is that if there's there's been some great works in this area over the last couple of years. So there's been some great works by um, Kevin Verstrappen's group, by Galone and Stencils, uh, and also uh, by uh, Goncalves um, from Portugal. Uh, and what they've been able to do is they've been able to appropriate um geographical domestication by um, what we call single nucleotide polymorphisms, but basically mutations. So what I was interested in, or what, what we were interested in, was was taking the Guinness yeast and, and kind of trying to work out where its origin was from. Um, when we did the first piece of work, we looked at um, a total of 16 Guinness yeast, um, and the oldest one being from 1947, and, and 
the, the, the latest one being from 1981. And we then looked at it from our different breweries. So we obviously we had the, the Irish brewery, which is St. James's Gate, but we also used to have a London brewery called Park Royal. And so what we did is we took all those yeast and we, we basically had a look at them to see whether first thing we were interested in is that were they were they were they quite closely related um, the second thing we were interested in is that phenotypically i.e how they behave did they behave in a similar manner as well so what we were able to do is we we, we took these yeast we um we basically did full genome full genome analysis of them and we were able to determine what the bases were the a's the c's the g's and the t's and we were also able to determine these single nucleotide polymorphisms um, and then what we then did is we then um downloaded the the galone and stencils um extensive library of yeast you can download those if you if you so choose to they actually did that piece of work with um chris white um so white labs and what we were able to do was we were able to to place our yeast within the context of all of their yeast and what's interesting is that the guinness yeast on their form a, what we call a monophyletic group so they group on their own and what's and what we found very strange is that when we start to look at these yeast we would have expected them to kind of group with yeast from kind of britain um and that wasn't the case actually when we when we started to look at these single nucleotide polymorphisms we actually found that part of the part of the genome was 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 from the was from britain as as kind of you would expect being as ireland and britain such close neighbors but actually what we found was that um about 30 percent of the genome was kind of derived from yeast that we've that were originally used to brew in the united states so actually in terms of its geographical location our guinness yeast is actually more closely related to the united states um, and then the other thing that we found really interesting was that about 38 percent of the genome is actually not specified at all so we don't really know where it's from um, so a real, a real hodgepodge and not at all what we were expecting considering a the geographical location to, to Britain um, and also also when we look in the archives as well we, we can clearly see that our Guinness yeast has come in from breweries within Dublin um, so yeah it was, it, was, it was it's been an interesting journey you've already said that you um, you know did genetic analysis and fingerprinting of, of these different strains um, and that you were able to group them. Uh, but you also uh, did many fermentations with them as well, right? Yeah. So what we did is we, we, we took the Guinness yeast out of the Guinness library. We then did some giant colony morphology. So we grew them up on a WLNA agar and we allowed it to grow for between 10 and 12 days until um, we've got some really nice big fat juicy colonies and then what we then did is we then extracted the dna and using the um asbc method actually um which is taken from um lagrasse and and cursed their, their their methodology from 2003 we're then able to basically determine kind of the fingerprint of these different yeast and what was really great was using that method we were able to see whether the the yeast was 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 pure as it were or whether we had kind of different variants within that and then what we then did is we took kind of the typical and the atypical colonies and um, we did we did mini fermentations with them um, and then we kind of in the mini fermentations we were able to assess you know uh, 
speed of fermentation, ABV, we're able to assess kind of ester formation and obviously higher alcohols. And for us as well, um, diacetyl is hugely important. Um, we're probably one of the very few brewers that want high diacetyl beers. So we like big diacetyl producers. So we're also interested in, in diacetyl because it's a signature flavor of our foreign extra stout. Um, so we really want a yeast that will overproduce diacetyl or alpha acetolactate before it gets converted into diacetyl. Into diacetyl. But yes, that's what we were, we, we were really interested. So we were then able to analyze all those. And, and interestingly, what we found was that phenotypically, these 16 yeasts that we looked at were actually quite different. Um, they, some of them fermented very, very quickly. Some of them were, were, were slightly slower. Uh, we also were able to see that the, the ester formations were, were very different as well, um, as well as the higher alcohols and the diacetyl. But the thing that we found particularly interesting was actually the flocculation characteristics. So Gilliland, when he decided to to choose the, the, the Irish Daft Stout yeast, he did it purely based upon its flocculation characteristics. And actually, when we look at the different Guinness yeast, we can see that they have different flocculation characteristics. And if you were to talk to a, an, an old Guinness brewer, they would clearly say to you that actually Guinness yeast historically is not a great flocculent yeast. Uh, but what we found is that actually within the variants that we looked at, some of them were actually quite flocculent. So what did the various Guinness yeast strains have in common? So one of the big things about Guinness is it's 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 quite a rapid fermenter. Um it's so the Irish draft stout yeast and the foreign extra stout yeast, which are the main yeast that we use, are actually quite quick. Well it's very quick. Um and interestingly enough that when we looked at the Park Royal yeast, which is that other brewery in in London, um one of them reached attenuation within about 18 hours, which is actually incredible for 12 degree Plato wort, absolutely phenomenal speeds. Um, the other thing as well is that they are all puff positive, um, so they all produce this phenolic off flavor. Um, so that's another characteristics of the of the Guinness yeast. Obviously, when you drink Guinness, you don't have you <laughs> you won't have you that. Don't taste that. No, absolutely not at all. Um, and that's to do because you know we mash in it it's it a higher temperature, so we don't have the frulic acid stand. Um, and and in addition to that, we use well modified malt, um, as as most brewers do nowadays. So yeah, and then, and then it has quite. When I drink Guinness, I don't really actually get. It's it's not what I would call kind of a, a yeasty beer, if you know what I mean. Quite a lot of the attributes from Guinness are not actually derived from the yeast, but actually in terms of production and in terms of process, um, the Guinness yeast just works fantastically well. And actually, the the variants or the, or the different other Guinness yeast we found, you know, pretty much kind of reverted to type in that you know they did ferment out quite well um the other thing as well is that they're, they're usually quite they're quite strong alcohol producers as well um <laughs> we, we've tried to kind of increase biomass um and obviously you know the the the, the old crabtree effect um and the guinness yeast just loves making alcohol absolutely loves making alcohol so um <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, we, and we and we see that in the data that we've produced for the um for the wbc presentation all right. Uh, you also did sensory analysis um, with at least some of these strains. Uh, anything interesting to report on that front? Yeah. So what we were, obviously, you know, we did these mini fermentations. You know, they're only 120 mils. You can do the analytics. But the important thing is that the, the mini fermenters 
can that be transferred to a larger fermenters? So the characteristics in the phenotype you saw in the mini fermenters, would we see them in the larger fena in the larger fermenters? So what we did is in our pilot plant at St James's Gate, we just brewed with with three yeast. So we brewed with a, a control yeast, which was the Irish Draft Stout, which is the one that we used to to, to make Guinness. And um, then we then what we did is we we brewed with a variant that we'd found within the the Irish Draft Stout, which we called IDS2. And then we were also then interested in um, that 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 yeast that fermented very very quickly which was the park royal yeast and what was interesting was is that the small mini fermenters and all the characteristics that we'd seen in that were perfectly replicated almost in the larger fermenters in the 100 liters and um, so that park royal yeast fermented much quicker than than the than the than the dublin yeast it was it was about 14 or 15 hours quicker in total um, and obviously the the flavor characteristics that we'd seen with the park royal yeast you know that it produces a lot of the the banana flavor the isomalacetate that came through strongly and so did the phenolic as well um, there's and the phenolic actually we find quite in well very interesting because what we did is we fermented it with guinness wort so we didn't have that ferulic acid stand so maybe this this yeast is hypersensitive to producing phenolic um, and it's something that that i think is probably worth exploring um but it, but it wasn't part of this work and then the other part of it as well was with the irish draft stout what we found is that that was a real big diacetyl producer um, and again it this when we did it in the large fermenters um it, it did produce diacetyl and one thing we have in in st james's gate is that we have a, a professional taste panel um who who are <laughs> very good uh, and they were able to determine you know we, we put this through the taste panel and they were able to, to to you know bring out all these flavors which matched almost perfectly with the analytical data that we'd seen for the mini fermenters so we were quite pleased about that Daniel, Guinness has a very pleasant level of acidity, a, a sort of a signature tang that I think helps make the roast character smoother. Is the yeast producing this level of acidity or does that come from other ingredients or processes? <laughs> um, John, I can't answer that, I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> um, yeah, I get uh, No. <laughs> As much as I would love to, I think we'll, we'll have to leave that as part of the Guinness Secrets. Even though Arthur would have, would have taken it from in and around Dublin, that actually that, that yeast is, is, is almost bespoke, as it were. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by... Brewer Supply Group is now the proud exclusive distributor of Dingaman's Malt. BSG is thrilled to partner with the Dingaman's family and to distribute their superior quality malts to brewers, distillers, and homebrewers in the U.S. and Canada. Dingaman's Malt combines modern techniques with their long-standing focus on quality and service to their customers and remains 100% independent and family-owned. 
Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation live streams data from your active fermentations, allowing you to remotely track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Try it free for 30 days. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. And thanks also to Christian Hansen, suppliers of frozen liquid yeast. The World Brewing Congress ends this week, but it's not too late to tap into this incredible resource. Grab a boundless registration from the link in the show notes, and you can watch WBC content on demand for 12 months. You've probably heard of or even attended one of the famous two-week courses that Master Brewers puts on each year in Madison. Well, those classes will be all virtual this year, which means you can now get the same education without spending money to travel and while taking advantage of 45% off course tuition. The Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins October 11th, and the Brewing and Malting Science course starts October 25th. Check the show notes for direct links to learn more. Now back to the show. What exactly did you learn about Guinness yeast after all this analysis? We learned a a huge amount. Um, I suppose the thing we learned most, though, is that this is just really the very much the beginning of the story. So we've obviously we have all the genetic information. um, So we know what genes are present. We also know the kind of the point mutations that are present. So. As part of the WBC presentation, I talk a little bit about phenolic off-flavor because, you know, this is a very well-researched, very well-understood pathway. And there's two genes in there, FTC1 and and, and the PAD1 gene. Uh, And interestingly enough, if we then look at kind of those SNPs, again, the single nucleotide polymorphisms, we know that there are two specific mutations that just belong to the Guinness yeast. Um, So, you know, that kind of level of detail is is across the whole of the genome um, and what's interesting is that we relating genotype to phenotype is hugely important so what we're what we're kind of interested in now is taking this kind of the, the data the analytics and kind of exploring the exploring the genome essentially um, interestingly enough we've done this using a kind of next generation sequencing which is which is great the Illumina sequencing platform and one thing we're quite quite conscious of is that there are there are other platforms out there at the moment so we're we're doing a project at the moment where we're using uh the um the nanopore technology which will give us better reads essentially or give us longer reads not necessarily better reads and what we're hoping to do is elucidate further what genes are present within the guinness yeast so this is very much just the start of what i hope to be a very interesting and and very productive piece of work um, for guinness and also for myself Earlier, you said that there were also some strains in the library from other Irish breweries. You wanted to explore the concept of Irish brewing yeast terroir. Let's hear about that. Yeah, so when we first started the the piece of work, we started obviously with the Guinness yeast. Um, And when we did all the genetic analysis, we found out that that the Guinness yeast was was, was quite unique. That is what we call a mosaic yeast. So its its genome is kind of derived from different parts of the world. And what I was wondering was that, well, if this Guinness yeast, which is an Irish yeast, um, is so unique, are other yeasts from breweries 
that have brewed on the island of Ireland, are they also unique? So what we did is we took um, 32 yeasts from five different breweries um, that we had stored down. Uh, and the, and the, the five breweries was Cherry McArdles, Perry, the Great Northern Brewery and Smithwick's. Um, and what we did is we did the, the ASPC method where the fingerprinting and we actually found out that if we did kind of hierarchical clustering, we actually found that actually these, these, the 11 of these yeast was actually quite closely related to, to the Guinness yeast. So what we then did is we then we took these 11 yeast um, and we put them further for pushed it further for genetic analysis. So we did again, we did whole genome um, sequencing. And actually what we found is that four of the 11 yeast actually weren't Saccharomyces, they were hybrids. Um, we think there are hybrids between Saccharomyces and Saccharomyces curvetsii, but obviously that was um, that could be another project. So we decided to park that. And instead we took those seven yeast, those seven Irish brewing yeast. Um, and what we did is we, we, we basically placed those within the wheel um, of, of, of both the Guinness yeast and also those yeast that we downloaded previously from the work by Galone and Stencils. And actually what we found was, was, was very interesting. Um, we had assumed that the, that the, 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 those Irish Guinness, those Irish yeast would be quite closely related to Guinness yeast and would we actually form part of that what we call that monophyletic group that we had with the Guinness yeast and actually what we found is that this wasn't the case at all and that actually those seven Irish yeast that we have is are actually quite closely related to Britain so the yeast that had previously been described as being from Britain those seven Irish yeast quite nicely fitted in with those with those British yeast as it were um, maybe it shouldn't be called Britain yeast. Maybe they should be called I Britain and Ireland yeast. Um, but yeah, those those seven yeast fitted quite nicely within there, suggesting that actually there was a common universal ancestor between all of those different yeast. But to go back to kind of the, the point about the Guinness yeast, it, it says that our Guinness yeast is completely unique. It says that our Guinness yeast, even though Arthur would have would have taken it from in and around Dublin, that actually that, that yeast is, is, is almost bespoke, as it were, and isn't related to any of those yeasts that were used to brew beer in Ireland, which I think is 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 quite stupendous really <laughs> you know in dublin a yeast a, a yeast that you have that's brewing kind of you know a, a very well-known brew you'd have expected it to be of the oh, same yeah, exactly and you'd expect it to have the same origins as other irish yeast what can you tell us about the um the time period for those those five breweries where the the those 11 yeasts were sampled was that um did those samples also go back to 1903 or were they more recent or, or do we know? So um, most of those yeast were kind of isolated, um, were stored down, sorry, in the 1950s, in the 1950s, in the 1960s. Um, in the 1950s, 1960s, there was quite a, a lot of movement within Ireland in terms of breweries. Um, for example, in 19. 62 the the irish ale brewing um brewing association was set up and that was with guinness cherry smithicks and mccardles um so they were kind of in the 50s and in, in the 60s all of those breweries were kind of getting together as it were what's interesting is though that you know going <laughs> is that they would is that breweries obviously you know they would have shared yeast through over the years and actually it would probably be quite common for that for those yeast to have already been in our collection and um, but in the 1950s probably because of the work of Gilliland actually um they were all stored down 
there's an awful lot in the library around sort of between 1952 to kind of like 1968 where if you look at the library you can see that they did an awful lot of work so they were kind of going in and reselecting different yeast from from the Irish breweries and um, I don't really know why they did that but all I know is that I'm quite pleased that they did because then it allowed me to allowed us sorry to do quite a nice piece of work based upon that previous work maybe you can hypothesize that you know um, Guinness essentially uh, for whatever reason did a better job of sort of preserving the strain that they had going back to the early 1900s and then maybe some of these other Irish breweries you know selected a different strain um, that circulated among them or, or whatever you know at some point between then and in the 1950s or 60s does that sound reasonable or no it's it's very i you know i kind of racked my brains about this for a long time um the truth of the matter is we 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 don't know um but what we do know is is that the irish is that the guinness yeast is very different from those irish yeast right we know that the guinness yeast is a mosaic yeast we know that its genome is is from britain belgium the united states and not specified it's it's a mosaic yeast um and obviously, it's the same yeast that we've had since 1903. Um, and the other thing to say as well is that in 1881, we had a microscope that was then used to analyze, you know, our fermenters. And as a consequence, Guinness as a, as a company would have been cognitive of the importance of their yeast. So they would have been able to preserve their yeast. Now, obviously, we can only go back to 1903. But if, you, <laughs> if you'll humor me a little bit, um, I, I think we could probably go back a little further. Um, I mean, is it the same yeast that Arthur Guinness would have picked up in 1759? Um, I, I, I don't know, but... Um, from the romantic point of view, I'd like to say yes, um, and the fact that, and the fact that this this yeast would have then been used and pushed around Dublin, and um, gone to other breweries and come back, uh, in, into the Guinness into into Guinness. I mean, we don't know. The other side of it with the Irish brewing strains, I think actually that supports um, just how good the the Irish brewing was essentially, because you know we they do all have all these individual yeasts which must have come from the same universal ancestor and that universal ancestor would have also been the same universal ancestor that would have been used for britain as well um yeah i, I just think it's, it's very interesting i think the fact that this this guinness yeast is so completely unique when we compare it to 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 other irish and british yeast i think is 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 an interesting story and the power of that yeast, I, you know, with the, the way it processes and the way it ferments out, um, I, I think is probably the reason why it was managed to stay around and potentially beat other yeast that would have dropped in there, you know. <laughs> okay, Daniel, what about the bacteria samples in the library? Or is that a project for the 2024 WBC? <laughs> um We've done a little bit in, into it. Um, it's it, look, you know, it's 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 a proper treasure trove. It's fantastic. I mean, the yeast stuff could keep me going for many many years, and hopefully, if the WB so be, be so kind, I would quite like to present maybe some some more work on the yeast. But yeah, I mean, bacteria. I mean, phenomenal amounts of of of, of information in there. But one thing to say, actually, as we're talking about kind of yeast, is that we do have a very interesting yeast um, that was isolated by Gilliland called, um, which is a Brettanomyces species which for for, 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 for 
for brewers out there that are really into their kind of sour beers this this thing is fantastic um and we've brewed with it we have brewed with it we brewed with it in our pilot plant um our, one, one of our head brewers um decided to take it on and it's it produces a fantastic tropical kind of aromas so with brettanomyces as, as you know you get kind of these mo- most i think they describe them as kind of like uh, barnyard flavors but with this one it's not so much that it's a lot more kind of right estery and very oh it's it's fantastic yeast um yeah anyway that one's called uh, brettanomyces dublinensis and that that is a, a superb yeast but that's kind of the flavor of the stuff that we have in our library it's just a like i say a treasure trove so Daniel, I'm just kind of curious, obviously, you know, Guinness has this rich uh, storied history. Uh, a lot of folks are interested in it, but, you know, where did you get your inspiration and uh, for this project and how did you, um, how did you access all this information? It seems sort of, um, just seems incredibly daunting. Well, <laughs> full disclosure, John, I, I didn't go through all the, the kind of the, the rich history that we have with Guinness. Um, what we have is we, in, for those of your listeners that have been to the to, to Guinness storehouse, you will have probably noticed that we have the Guinness archives there as well. Uh, and that's run by a, a lady called um, Evelyn Colgan, who's, who's just tremendous. So she's our, our principal archivist. She has um, another lady working for her as well. And, and Evelyn's done a, fa- a fantastic job. You know, um, all the stuff about the Irish brewing yeast, she's kind of gone on and she's, she's researched all that. And she's also researched an awful lot about the Guinness yeast. So, you know, the story about 1809 and 1810 and all that kind of stuff. That's all we know that's fact because Evelyn has gone in there with other people. There's another gentleman called um, Dr. Eddie Burke. He's also done a tremendous amount of work as well. Um, and they've gone into the to the to the history books they've gone into the brewing records they've they've looked meticulously at, at kind of when the brews were brought in you know when we shared our yeast with other breweries and because there is just so much information and um, as you alluded to in the question john you know going through all that kind of information has is, is, is been quite a monumental task and interesting enough it's, it's still very much an ongoing piece of work we we're bringing all the stuff that was in the old brew the old brewery in Park Royal, um, they, they were bringing some of that into into St James's Gate, uh, and it's, it's it, again the amount of information in there is, is just phenomenal. And because we were so meticulously, or Guinness was so meticulously, so kept such meticulous records, we know phenomenal amounts. So we know, for example, that um, brews in eighteen oh nine were were. The yeast was taken in from from certain from a brewery from Sweetman's that's based upon in Dublin. Um, we we know these all this kind of information, and it, it's actually testament to the work that that Evelyn and the team have done, which is which has been great. That was Daniel Carouche here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you want to know more, check out Daniel's WBC presentation, which is available on demand, just like the rest of the WBC content. Check the show notes for a link. The World Brewing Congress ends this week, but it's not too late to tap into this incredible resource. Grab a boundless registration from the link in the show notes, and you can watch WBC content on demand for 12 months. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. 
So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Standard.